Every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. This is the word of the Lord. It's amazing, isn't it? A week ago, it was the day before the day before Christmas. And here we are a week later, and it's the day before the day before New Year's Day. All around the world, people are beginning to prepare for a new year. 2013 is nearly dawning as 2012 slowly fades into the distance. And while there's nothing particularly magical about the transition from December 31st to January 1st, we seem to have imported great significance to both days on our calendar. The last day of December, New Year's Eve, has become a time for whimsical and celebratory reflection on all that has been, lest old acquaintances be forgot, milestones passed and accomplishments achieved not recorded. And on the other hand, the first day of January, New Year's Day, represents for many of us a clean slate. As the calendar is reset, that was then, this is now, and our lives get a fresh start. Of course, as some of you know, many of you may not, in the church, New Year's Day hasn't typically been observed. And the reason for this is that for Christians throughout the centuries, they didn't reset their calendars two days from now. For this, over the centuries, Christians, traditionally, the new year began in the church, in fact, four weeks ago, at the beginning of Advent. But that doesn't mean that we in the church can't enthusiastically embrace the spirit of what these two days represent. The transition from December 31st to January 1st, in my mind, is as good a time as any to stop, look around, and take stock of one's life, and think of the future. In fact, one of the ways that we're encouraged to do this, to observe New Year's Day, is to make resolutions, the setting of goals, the making of a list of things we want to change or we want to see changed in the upcoming year. Now, I bring this up even though for some, and it seems like a growing number of people, making resolutions has fallen out of fashion. In fact, I've encountered in these last couple of days some who actually sneer at the practice. The logic being that intentions are good, but actual change is hard. We get embarrassed of publicly acknowledging what we see as our personal imperfections and shortcomings, telling everyone this year, it's going to be different. We're going to be different. And then ending up making the same resolutions for ourselves the next year and the year after that and so on 
I got anybody here who's making the same resolutions this year? Anybody? And so finally, for some of us, we just throw up our hands, right? And we say, why bother? We might even say, maybe not out loud, we're too old, too far gone. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. Why set yourself up for disappointment and failure? That's you, I feel you this morning. <laughs> but I wanna suggest for all of us the benefit of New Year's resolutions. After all, self-reflection in light of God's revelation to us in word and by his spirit is something every Christian is regularly encouraged to do. Reflecting on our lives and making changes in light of those reflections is in many ways the essence of the practice of repentance in the church, of surrendering and turning our lives around, orienting our lives towards the Lord and centering them on Christ. Again, traditionally as believers, we've been encouraged to do this kind of practice during the seasons of Advent and Lent in preparation for celebrating Christmas and Easter. But I want to suggest to you there's no reason why we shouldn't also do it at the start of the year. In many ways, I find, and maybe this is true for you as well, this time between Christmas and New Year's is an ideal time for this. This last week tends to be, for most of us, not all, but for most of us, a much quieter and less busier time than, say, before Christmas. And here, for some of us, we can easily, more easily than maybe in other times, find the space that we need to make sensible, well-thought-out resolutions. Now, for some of you who may be still engaged in this practice, you've already been thinking about some of the changes you'd like to see happen this year. Joining and actually going to the gym. <laughs> Eating healthier. Losing a few pounds. Being less in debt, spending more time with family, doing better at work, getting your life more organized. It can be very freeing to allow ourselves a little room for our hopes and our dreams, to think seriously about what we want for the future. We might even enjoy ourselves if we play around with the possibilities open to us on January 1st. Think about it. Two days from now. On the first day of January, our whole life can be transformed. If you go to the gym on January 1st, you can say you've exercised for every day of 2013. <laughs> Get through the first of January without munching on a bag of chips or wolfing down a candy bar, and 2013 reflects a perfect track record of eating more healthy. <laughs> for one day, at least, for one day at least, all our good intentions can be jump-started. All our bad habits can be unplugged, at least for a few hours, a few minutes. This year, this new year can be a reflection of our best self. But, and the cynics in this room, the sneerers, you know what I'm about to say. <laughs> January 1st is followed by January 2nd, and then January 3rd, and it doesn't take long a cold morning, and a warm bed to stay under the covers a few minutes longer rather than going to the gym. Give us a week, and we're sneaking a midnight snack again. We're indulging in that impulse buy, again with our credit card. We find ourselves again getting cut off on the freeway and cutting loose with a string of bad words that would make a sailor blush. <laughs> For a couple of weeks, leading up to Christmas, we dream of a better world. 
We believe that we can become different people. Inspired by the songs and the spirit of the season of peace on earth and goodwill toward men, we resolve to carry peace on earth and goodwill toward all persons forward into the new year. But it always ends the same. In less than a week, no more than a month, most of us, most of our New Year's resolutions end up getting packed away with the last of the Christmas decorations. It's just so easy. It's just so tempting to go back to what's familiar after the holidays. And that's why change is hard. That's why many of us stop making resolutions altogether. That's why many of us just remain set in our ways, stuck where we are. Mary and Joseph can relate. Mary and Joseph can relate. Joseph and Mary, along with their friends, as you heard, their neighbors, their relatives, had just enjoyed a nice holiday, just like we have. Together, they all made the required pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. But as soon as the allotted time for the holiday was over, they hit the road. They hit the road, anxious to get back to all the work, responsibilities, and commitments that filled their lives. Joseph, a tradesman, a woodworker, undoubtedly had projects awaiting him, awaiting his attention. Mary, a mother, had hundreds of time-consuming tasks on her mind, things she needed to do to keep the family fed, clothed, and functioning. Despite their unique place in our story of faith, it's worth remembering that they were everyday people like us. And like most of us, at the end of an extended vacation, maybe for some of us, at the end of these few days, they were probably anticipating, maybe even looking forward to getting back to the comfortable familiarity of their rhythm and routine. But as they journeyed back home from Jerusalem to Nazareth, traveling as a caravan, again, traveling a journey that would take them four or five days, 80 miles of distance approximately, where there might be highway robbers traveling as a caravan in one large group, they all of a sudden realize that their 12-year-old son, Jesus, isn't with them. In fact, they're so preoccupied, Luke tells us, they actually don't figure it out until a day later. If this isn't the biblical version of Home Alone, I don't know what is. <laughs> Now, this is a pretty straightforward story, but I believe we can learn something from this. How about starting here? It's easy to lose sight of Jesus as time goes by. New Year's is a great example of this. In our moments of self-reflection, if we take them, in our practice of making resolutions, if we will do, that, do so, how easy it is to overlook Jesus in the midst of all of our plans and commitments. And yet believing in Jesus, as we've talked about many a time here together, goes hand in hand with being disciples of Jesus. And that means following Jesus. And following means that Jesus goes before us. That Jesus leads the way. For those of you who've even indulged the idea of resolutions, for those of you who've even thought about what you'd like to see different in this new year, let me ask you, who is shaping your goals? Who or what is shaping your desires, your hopes for the future? Whose voice and priorities are driving us to change or to be changed? From my own personal experience, let alone pastorally, it's not always God. 
It's not always Jesus. It can often be the things that drive us to change the whims of the world. It can often be the old tapes of critics. It can often be the voices of people who we have given power over us. And very rarely is it the voice of Christ. My point is, Mary and Joseph are not the only ones who have ever found themselves going forward on their own, consumed by their own concerns and plans. Beloved, like them, we can often be preoccupied with our own baggage. And that it isn't until later that we turn around and suddenly realize we don't know where Jesus is in our lives either. And at such times, like them, we need to discover that the answer is to double back and go look for Jesus. Practically, what this means is that any resolutions, any plans that we ever make, January 1st, whenever, any resolutions, any plans that we make for our lives need to begin on our knees in prayer, calling upon the name of Jesus and seeking guidance from him. That's where our plans, that's where our resolutions have to begin. Now we continue on. As Mary and Joseph head back to Jerusalem, we all know the resolution of this story. We know where Jesus is. We know what Jesus is doing. But there's one detail in the story, as Jack read it, that I find very interesting. We're told that it took them three days to find Jesus. Even if you account for travel, they were about a day's journey out, it's evident that Mary and Joseph didn't automatically know where to look for Jesus. Did you pick that up? It's not like they made a beeline right to the temple. Again, this is a simple story. But I believe that it has something significant to offer us. We don't always know where to find Jesus. We don't always know where to find Jesus. We can often look, frankly, in the wrong places. The places we expect, rather than the places, the one place that Jesus tells us we can always find him. And that's the teaching moment for me in this story. Not only for Mary and Joseph, but for all of us. That's why Luke, I think, includes it in the gospel. Where is the place we can always find Jesus? In his own question, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? If you have your Bible open, that's the other translation of in my father's house. And I think father's business is a better translation because it gets at the heart of what Jesus is saying. The place you'll always find me is being about my father's business. When we think of resolutions, what immediately comes to mind is the stuff we want to change. Right? When I say resolutions, we think about the stuff we want to change. The adding on or letting go of things that we're interested in. And we all have something. We all have habits or addictions that we need to break. It's a given. We all have aspects of our character or particular life skills that we want to improve. And there's nothing wrong with those kind of desires. There's nothing wrong with goals oriented around such things. There's nothing wrong with wanting to change our lives if our motivation for those changes, if our power for those changes comes from the Father. And that's the point of this story on this day. We've spent, before Advent, talking a lot about these two ideas of covenant and kingdom. Covenant, again, being about relationship. It's the starting point. If we don't know who we are in relationship to God, we can't go any further. And we've talked about the, no, the different ways we visualize God, and yet the primary way, and here it is another example, that we are told to envision God is as our Father. 
And out of our understanding of that relationship, that understanding of our identity, that God is our Father, we understand we are His children, and our obedience, our purpose, our motivation comes out of our dependence upon Him. Not obedience out of fear, but obedience out of the security of knowing that we are children of our Father. One way to look at what happens here is that Jesus is living out covenant. That Jesus refuses to be regulated according to some prearranged, culturally imposed schedule. It was no different then as it is here, as it is for us now. Back then, Passover observance is finished. Holiday's over. Pack your bags. Go back to your regular routine. Fall back in step with the daily rhythms of the world. Some of us have already taken down our Christmas decorations. Some of us have already packed those things away. And we are back into our regular routine. We're back into the rhythm of the world. Jesus, in this story, doesn't say, well, Passover's over, so it's back to business as usual. Jesus his identity, his rhythm is rooted in his relationship with his father. Again, I ask us, who defines who we are? Who defines who we are outside of Christmas? Who defines who we are? Is it our work that defines who we are? Is it our routine who defines who we are? Who or what defines such things? When's the last time we laid our calendar, our schedule before our father? When's the last time you laid your calendar, your schedule, before your father? Beloved, and this may, be, may tick a lot of you off, but the problem with most of our resolutions, including my own, is not that they're too hard. It's that they're too safe. They're too safe. We resolve to make tiny cosmetic changes in our lives but we refuse to confront the deeper motivations and beliefs that drive how we live each and every day. If we're receptive to change, the only change that most of us are willing to make are those changes that we consider to be in our self-interest, the ones that fit our plans for our lives. In other words, we may be open to changing, but we are closed to being changed to having our lives restructured, the paradigms by which we live transformed. But again, and he's only 12 here, it's gonna get, gonna get just only increase. This is what discipleship is all about. Having our paradigms changed, having our lives restructured. This is what Jesus reflects for us here. Why are you looking for me? Wouldn't you know that I would be about my father's business? Jesus reflects the significance of covenant, that starting place of that relationship of knowing God as our Father and having our lives shaped by that. But Jesus also models for us what we also have talked about before Advent, kingdom. And kingdom, again, has to do with responsibility. When we know our identity, when we live in covenant, God is our Father, we are His children, and our obedience comes out of our dependence upon Him. That's our security. Then we can live in the kingdom, live out the kingdom, because we recognize God's not just our Father, but God is the King the king of kings. When we live in the kingdom, we don't return to the business-as-usual attitude. Jesus answers for his parents and for us the most important call of all, and it's to be about his father's business, kingdom. Beloved, what would it mean if we were to act in a similar fashion? What would it mean if we were to respond when people were to ask us, what are we about, what do we live for in the same way? What would it mean if we lived not according to human expectations or cultural patterns, but meant 
lived according to what God required of us, what our Father called us to do. Maybe for you this even stimulates the question of what is God's business rather than other people's business, rather than other people's definition of God's business. Beloved, we've celebrated it at Christmas. We're going to celebrate it again through Advent and Easter. We'll celebrate it again at Pentecost. Every Sunday we celebrate God's business and God's business is transformation. God's business is freedom. God's business is forgiveness. God's business is mercy. God's business is reconciliation. God's business is wholeness. Our father is also our king, the king of kings, and his desire is for the reign of unity, the reign of healing, the reign of justice and love among all people and nations. The kind of things that we secretly hope for, but publicly, explicitly mock. It's what our God not only desires, it's what our God promises. Total and complete transformation. That's our father's business. I'm not much of a, a guy who can do much with his hands. I'm not a mechanic or an engineer. But the little that I know, an electrical transformer takes high voltage and transforms it into energy we can use in our everyday lives. We need transformers in order to have the energy that we use in our lives. Without a transformer, as I understand it, there could be no light in the darkness. There could be no safety in the storm. Beloved, one way to think about what we're still celebrating, the momentum that we're coming off of, is that at Bethlehem, God came to us in Jesus the Christ, becoming the transformer we need, so that through the truth and love that he brings, the impulses, the impulses within us, within our world, of for grace, for justice and peace, those impulses that the world so desperately needs, even as it explicitly mocks, might be realized. Jesus is the transformer. Our Father seeks to exercise that kind of transformation that we've talked about to extend the reality of his kingdom through one changed, one redeemed life at a time. What I want to suggest to you this morning is that the ultimate New Year's resolution, the ultimate New Year's resolution does not challenge us to lose a few pounds, to organize our garage, or to get to the gym at least three times a week. The ultimate resolution a Christian can make is to live in the light of divine intentions, not human inventions. The ultimate resolution a Christian can make is to live in the light of divine intentions, not human inventions. The ultimate resolution, the mother of all New Year's resolutions, the resolution that ends all resolutions, is to declare from this day forward, we will make our business to be about our Father's business. That by his hand, in response to his movement in our lives, we will become the agents of transformation, the conduits of our Father's power and authority. Again, back to kingdom. When you are living out the kingdom, knowing God is not just your Father but your King, you recognize and receive the authority that he gives you to act on his behalf. And from that authority comes the power to do what he calls us to do. The ultimate resolution is to live in covenant, but to live out kingdom, to live in our relationship with our father as his children in dependence upon that, obedient out of that dependence, but it's to live out our relationship with the responsibility towards our king by being 
people with authority, who exercise that authority, not in our own power, not in our own name, but with the power that God gives us in the authority of Jesus Christ. We cannot be a part of transforming the world unless we first allow ourselves to be changed. Our identity has to be transformed by our relationship with the Father. It has to start with living in covenant. We will not see real change in the world unless we are committed to being in the world, to standing and living in the reality that surrounds us rather than secluding ourselves in the confines of our own business as usual routines. Do you hear me? You're going back to business as usual. You will not see the change that you want to see. You will not participate in it if you simply stay in covenant. In fact, if you're truly living in covenant, if you know who you are in relationship with this God, that he is your father, you're his child, you know that, you're secure in that, you can't help but live out the kingdom. You can't live anything else. We have to be willing to live into our responsibility as children of the Father, to exercise his power and authority, to become agents of transformation. It's what the world is waiting for. It's what our communities are waiting for. For some of us, we may not even know what this looks like. So let me just give you a couple of what-ifs. What-ifs are always great. What if... What if instead of resolving to lose a couple of pounds this year, we resolve to throw away less food and to donate that same amount of food to pantries and shelters that are feeding the hungry? What if instead of resolving to go to the gym this year, we resolve to exercise not just our bodies, but our minds and our souls by building a house for a needy family through Habitat for Humanity? or working to serve a meal and give hope to those who are trying to get back on their feet through the good news ministry here on Sunday? What if, instead of resolving to do a better job at work, which pretty much means more time at the office or more time working at home, we resolve to invest time in the life of a student, a junior high, a high school, a college student, maybe even a group of kids, some of whom, I'm here to tell you, don't have a consistent and caring adult speaking into their life. What if we resolved, instead of doing a better job at work, of doing a better job of speaking into the lives and being there for our youth? What if instead of resolving just to spend more quality time with our families, we resolved to spend time together as a whole family serving others, opening our homes and our hearts, reaching out to new faces, strangers in our church, our school, and our neighborhood, and sharing the person, the story of Jesus Christ with them. What if? There are all kinds of resolutions we can make, but this kind of resolution, to be a people that live in covenant in relationship with our Father and to live out the kingdom, our responsibility to our King, these are the kind of resolutions that you don't just make for a year, you make for your whole life. But take caution, take caution. Jesus discovered, let's not miss this in the story, at an early age, Jesus discovered that answering God's expectations can get you into trouble. Focusing on God's business can even put an unexpected crimp in the family business. And you know what happens when you mess with the family business?
Business as usual is not the way that God does business. And others, all joking aside, can find that unsettling. Be warned. Because our Father's business is about transformation, lasting change, most people are going to resist. But here's the thing. If we live out of the security of our identity in Christ, that God is our Father, there is nothing that anyone can take away from us. If we live out our call from a sense of his kingdom, that he is the one who reigns, and that our authority is not our own authority, but his authority, that our power is not something that we manifest, but something that he provides, nothing can stand against the love, the grace, and the truth that we seek to bring into the world. Nothing. Beloved, we've just celebrated a birth. What I love about this morning is we're still singing about it. We've celebrated the life of Jesus born in our midst. And that declaration that Christ is born in Bethlehem, that Emmanuel, God is with us, is among so many other things, the announcement of a new beginning, unexpected possibilities. Christmas is merely the tip of the iceberg when it comes to encountering this God who makes all things new. The opportunity of Christmas gives way to the possibility of Easter that's further magnified by the hope of Pentecost. Our best days are still to come. January 1st isn't magical. January 1st isn't the only day that things can change. Why we're here, the gospel, if you will, is that God can use any day to change a life. The gospel is, thankfully, he's given us 365 days to prove it. And change, for those of us who fear change, for those of us who still are afraid, change happens not because of what we do. Change happens because of what God does through us. We don't initiate change. For many of us, that's why we fear it. We don't initiate change. When we know this God is our Father, when we know his kingdom, change is about responding or ignoring the changes that God is making in and all around us. You don't have to start it. You simply have to look for it. You simply have to plug into it. As time goes by, and that's what this, 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 these next few days are about, thinking about time, as time goes by, thanks to the grace of God, we can say that every day is a new day. The good news is that our resolutions are not as important as the resolute nature of God's presence with us and for us. Our resolutions are not as important as the resolute nature of God's presence with us and for us. The Lord is doing something new in each one of our lives, each one of your lives. That's our Father's business. As you yield, as we yield together, as we are changed by the love and truth of God revealed through Jesus Christ in our lives, the world is gradually transformed. That's how God set it up to work. And this is our Father's business too. Not just to change a life, but to change our world. And the beauty is, as we allow God to change our lives, we get to participate in his changing of the world. So beloved, as we look to the horizon, towards the dawn of another year, May we see together with even more clarity than we did this last year the kingdom of heaven that is overtaking the world. May we continually learn and say the name of Jesus together and more and more see him for who he really is. More and more notice and enter into what he's doing. 
May we be more prayerful and watchful as a community, mindful, not in fear, but in faith, that the clock is ticking. The days are being counted. And we have been given the authority and power of our Father for such a time as this. The transformation that awaits us, that is coming into our world in Christ, it may not be complete in 2013. It may not be complete in 2113. But it will happen. It will happen. Because that's our Father's business. Even if it takes eternity. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.